Hey, good morning. Welcome to Hope Church. For all of you in-house, welcome. For all of, you, all of you online, thanks for joining us. Hey, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, and uh, last week we talked about what is it? What does a mature Christian look like? And we're throwing three words that kind of are descriptors of Christianity and the Christian life. And the three words we're using are believe, belong, and become. And we think they're, they're just different descriptors of what, it, what is Christianity and what does a Christian look like? What are the, the uh, characteristics or the traits of a Christian? So we want to talk a little bit about that. The first one that we talk about is believe. And we believe that there's a, there's a moment, there's a time in your life where you become a Christian. That even though you may have been born into a Christian family or you practiced a religion that maybe your parents practiced, that there needs to be a moment where you yourself become a follower of Jesus Christ. You call up, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. So there needs to be kind of a crossing of the line, uh, an ownership that you take on, that you realize that you're a sinner and you're in desperate need of a Savior and Jesus is your only hope and you call upon Jesus as Savior. So that's the, the believe portion. And then Peter describes this. He says, for you have been born again, not of uh, of perishable, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So he talks about this whole born again thing. And we throw that phrase around and some people misunderstand what that means. Peter talked to Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, and he said to him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus didn't understand. He says, well, how do I enter into my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus was speaking spiritually. And he, essentially what he was saying was in the same way that you have a physical birth, you need to have a spiritual birth. So that's what we mean when we talk about uh, us being uh, believing or uh, being born again. Now, unfortunately, and this is what we talked about a lot, a lot last weekend, many Christians uh, will be in the church for a long, long period of time, and they'll think that they're growing up, they're maturing, but they're not. And the reason they believe that, the reason they think that is, we go, well, I've been a Christian for a long time, therefore I must be mature. Now, it would be nice if that were the case, it was kind of automatic, but it's not automatic and it doesn't happen. Just because you've been a Christian for 10, 15, 20 years doesn't mean that you are mature. The second thing, the second misunderstanding of people, and we talked about it last weekend, was that many people think that, well, I know a lot about the Bible. I have Bible knowledge, so therefore, because I have Bible knowledge and therefore because I've been a Christian a long time, I must be mature. Now, Bible knowledge certainly can lead to maturity, but not often, not, off, not all the time. So we have to be, you know, just careful about those distinctions. Um, and I kind of made a statement, and I think it's true, that I think a lot of people, there's a lot of baby Christians within the Christian church. And I think the percentage probably has grown, but I could be wrong about that. I don't have statistics on that. But as a new baby Christian, the first thing you need to do for any baby, physical baby, is you need to help that baby grow up. And that's kind of what we want to look at uh, today. Because if we're not growing up, then there's something wrong. And uh, becoming mature isn't kind of entering into some kind of nirvana or conscious, you know, consciousness, new consciousness. That's not what we're talking about. In, in the New Testament, it's very practical becoming, and this is the, the word we, we, we said, believing, becoming, right? And becoming is a, a whole different thing. Becoming is 
that this is a process that goes on for a lifetime. You never arrive. That no matter how long you've been a Christian, you are still growing. You're still developing, right? You never have reached it. Uh, this is the way First John puts it. He says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. So that's kind of what we want to flesh out today. We want to talk a little bit of what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a mature Christian? What are some of the characteristics of a mature Christian? And the, the, the model that we have is Jesus Christ, to be like Jesus Christ. But even that, we go, well, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean to be like Jesus, right? Because I'm not God, and I'm going to sin, and we have all those questions. And that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about how do we become more like Jesus, or what does that look like? What does it becoming like Jesus look like, and then how do we do it, all right? So that's kind of where we're going to go in the rest of our time. So the first question is, what does it look like? What does living like Jesus look like? And I want to just give you four just characteristics of Jesus that are just, they're just, this is who we are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should see these in your life. If you don't see them, something's wrong, okay? So that's essentially what we want to look at. So let's look at these. The first one is that we live a life of humility. We live a life of humility. Uh, let me give you a passage. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Um, it says this. Paul writes this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So when you think of Philippians 2, what, what Paul is doing here is he's giving us kind of this, this bird's eye view of the incarnation. Now, incarnation is just one of those big theological words that means that, that Jesus, God, became a man. And it turned, he lived, he died on a Roman cross, and he rose. And that's the incarnation, you know, that's the totality. And so this is the big picture. And so the idea there, the big picture for us is that he gave up his throne. He set aside, you know, his power and his might. Uh, there, there were many things that, that he did so that he could come here. And so this is the big picture. And then we, we zoom in. We're going to zoom in now. And I want to read you a passage. This is from John chapter 13. Notice it says this. Now that I, your te Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So in this passage, we see zooming in. This is the Last Supper. Jesus is in the upper room, right? He's with his disciples. They're in the midst of the meal. And he gets up from where he's sitting down. He grabs a bucket, a, a little bowl of water, he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And, he, he, and this is the most humbling thing that any person could ever do, to wash another person's feet. Think about that. How would you like to just stop right now? We, we'll get a bowl of water and we'll start washing each other's feet. Yeah, probably not. You know, I mean, this, you know, it's like... And then th now this is this is to me what's mind-boggling about all of this. This is so we're talking about the trait of humility. We're saying that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, humility 
is part of who you are. It, this is not something that's optional. It's, I know I opt out of that, or that's not who I am. That's not, no, 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 no. This is what maturity looks like. You humble yourself. Now think about this. The God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, who created us in his image, got off of his throne, came from heaven to earth, lived the life we should have lived, died to death we should have died, got down on his knees and washed the feet of men who would flee when he needed them and deny him that they even knew him. It's absolutely stunning. That's humility. That's humility. What I love about this and all the traits that I show you, Jesus only asks us to do what he's already done. You know, it's one thing. Have you ever caught yourself telling or asking your kids or your people to do something, but you've never done it? And they call you on it? Jesus, you can never call Jesus. It's like, yeah, I already did that. He only asks us to do what he's already done. So here's the point. If you want to become like Jesus, you will humble yourself daily. This isn't an option. This is mandatory as a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me give you another one. Look at what he says here. We live a life of loving others. So look at what, uh, this is Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes this. Follows God, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us and as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And so this is the, the ultimate sacrifice, isn't it? It's one thing to say to somebody, I love you. It's another thing to demonstrate that love, to make it be something that costs you something, right? This is very different. So when Paul says this, that Jesus gave himself up, it's a euphemism to mean that he was dying. He was going to die. It was, he was giving up his life. This was a big thing. And you know that Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that they would what? Lay down their life, right? And essentially that's exactly what Jesus did. Peter says that Jesus became a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And the point here is very simple. That if you want to become more like Jesus, you will love others, including your enemies. We always want to leave that out. And, um, and we love them with what? A Calvary-type love. That, that, that humbling love. That, that sacrificial love. Not just the people that we like and we love. Not the people that are easy to love, but the people that are hard to love. Our enemies. We forgive them. We don't hold grudges. This is what a follower of Jesus does. It's not an option. It's not an option. Let's look at, a, let's look at the next one. We live a life of patient endurance. Notice what Peter says. This is 1 Peter uh, 1, 22, 1, excuse me, 2.21. He says this, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So Peter um, is telling, he's preparing his readers and he's saying, you need to be, be ready and be aware that suffering is coming. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that the, the, the path entails potholes and trouble and trials and tribulations. 
that it's not always going to be easy and there's, there may be persecution and misunderstanding. That's part of the, of, of the life that you, you will get now. Um, you've declared war, war on the enemies and the, the powers of darkness. Um, I think Peter, and we'll go through this as First and Second Peter. We're not, but First Peter basically says, "Prepare for suffering." It's not a message we hear often, is it? Uh, it's not a message we want to hear. But if you want to become like Jesus, you need to patiently endure, and you need to be willing to suffer. Because, uh, as far as I can read, every one of the apostles suffered and was martyred. Uh, John was on Patmos. We believe he died there. Um, but in the early church, suffered. This is part of our lot as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter says something very interesting. Um, he says, don't suffer because you're an idiot. I mean, he doesn't say that. I mean, that's my translation. But he, he essentially says, if you suffer because you did something dumb or you're acting like a jerk, well, that's on you. You know, that's, you brought that on yourself. But if you're suffering because you're trying to do the right thing in the right way, with the right manner, then that's part of the lot of suffering. That's not your fault, but it's part of your calling. We don't often want to hear that, do we? Um, all right, let's talk about another one. Uh, and this is the last one we'll talk about. So we're, we're trying to describe, okay, we said that mature Christians are followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to those who would follow him, come, follow me, right? And we say, well, what does that mean? What does following Jesus mean? Well, we humble ourselves, right? We, we love people, even our enemies, right? We're, we're willing to suffer uh, persecution. And we realize we're on a mission that our life is not our own. And that makes perfect sense when you think about it. Look at what it says. Uh, in John chapter 17, Jesus said to his disciples, his followers, as you sent me into the world, I, sent, I have sent them into the world. So we've been sent. Uh, we're going to talk more about that next weekend. But essentially, we've been sent. We're on a mission. This is, this is not so many Christians. And, and I understand people who aren't followers of Jesus Christ just get up every day and say, what do I want to do? But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we ought to wake up and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What plans do you have for my life today? So let me just stop just for a minute and ask you, when was the last time that you even thought about God's will for your life for the next few hours, next few days? Say, God, what do you want me to do? What's your plan today? Help me to be aware of how your spirit leads me today. That's what mature Christians do. If you're a follower, you're called to something bigger than yourself. You see, we're saved from our world to save our world. We can't save our world if we're just living for ourselves. And notice what Jesus said again. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. We are sent. By, by, by the Lord. And again, Jesus does not ask us to do anything he hasn't already done. When Jesus was on earth, what did he say over and over and over? He said, my will is to do the will of the one who 
sent me. And Jesus doesn't say, you know what, I want you to go. I, I don't feel like it, but you go. You no, know, he says, I went, now you go. As the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. So we need to wake up every day and say, what, Lord, are you sending me into the world to do today? Because I believe there's a whole bunch of appointments that we're missing. They're, they're God-ordained, sovereign appointments that God has for us but we're so busy looking out for our lives and what's happening to us that we're not seeing what God wants to do through us in the lives of the people around us. We're missing incredible opportunities. I think Americans are good at living for themselves, but as Christians, we're called to live for Him. And... and, and it's interesting. Peter goes on to say, you know, it's not your life. You were bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. One day, the Scripture is very clear that we're going to give an accounting for how we used our time, our talent, and our money, and whether we even thought of that. The good news is this. <laughs> I like to try to look at the positive. And the, when you look at the sheep and the goats, uh, the parable of the sheep and the goats. I like the first part where Jesus says, you know, I've got this great thing. Come on in. And you, you were you visited me when I was in prison. You gave me food when I was hungry. You gave me clothes when I needed clothes. And they go, well, when did we do that? <laughs> it's like, really? I did that? I, I, I mean, I did it, but I didn't know it was for you. Yes, it was for me. I, I want to be one of that group. Don't you want to be surprised by that? Where the Lord says, you know, you did this here, and I was, that was a, one of the divine appointments I had. You, you met it. You exceeded expectations on that one, right? So we, we have a mission. If you want to become like Jesus, you will see that your mission in life is his kingdom and eternity. And, and that's what we have to do. We have to wake up every day and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do today? All right, so that's what Jesus looks like. Follow, that's what following Jesus. And we could give more and more characteristics. I don't want to get bogged down in that. If you just do one of those four or two of those four, you're going to be on your way to being what Jesus was and what we're being called to do. All right, so here's the next part. How do we do it? How do we become more like Jesus? What, what are the steps? What are the things? And I'm not going to talk about all of them. But I'm going to talk about three of the major ones, and I mentioned these last week, but I want to sp spend some time in it. Number one, we keep in step with His Spirit. We keep in step with His Holy Spirit. Peter tells us that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to be holy. We talked about that last week. And holy's, the word holy is one of those words, it's hard for us to wrap our brains around. We think of this, you know, this separation and, you know, just, you know, all of this other stuff. But holy... Let me break holy down for you for a minute. Holiness means that we live our life under the influence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. And that's why I used the phrase, J.I. Packard wrote a book on the Holy Spirit, and I love the title, and it was called Keeping in Step with the Spirit. Don't walk ahead, don't walk behind, but walk with the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to, to guide and direct you. So holiness means that you... Uh, you, you live your life under the influence of the Holy Spirit, which means that you will demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Now, let me just say this for a minute. 
The Bible teaches in Corinthians and other New Testament books, that the, and, and I know that this will seem controversial. It's really not because it's the whole argument of 1 Corinthians. Paul essentially says in the whole argument of the book, you ever wonder why 1 Corinthians is kind of like he talks about love in the middle of kind of the middle part of the thing? Why does he do it there? Because they weren't very loving. Now, what did they have a lot of? They had a lot of the gifts of the Spirit, didn't they? Speaking in tongues and prophecy, they had all the gifts of the Spirit, but they didn't have any of the fruit of the Spirit. So my point is this. There are a lot of people out there that say the greatest sign of the, that you have that you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit that you speak in tongues, or that you you know have a word of prophecy, or you know somehow God miraculously speaks through you or uses you in miraculous ways. I want to tell you that, that the greatest proof that you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit is that you demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, not the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit trump the gifts of the Spirit in my mind. Now, some people will, you know, some churches will say, that's blasphemy. It's not blasphemy. Read the book of 1 Corinthians. But notice the fruit of the Spirit. You, if, if, if I could give you one passage, one verse to memorize, and of course, I don't have it up, but you can look it up, right? Galatians 5, 22 and 23, you should memorize. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Have you read Facebook lately? Have you read what Christians are doing and saying on Facebook? Have you noticed the fruit of the Spirit? You know, I think there could be some work there that needs to be done. But holiness means that you are demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That you're allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you and direct you. And you should see that. By the way, when it says fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't mean, well, I'm showing this, but I'm not showing that. No, it means that those will all be there at the same time. It's like a multi-fruit tree. You know, you see them all at the same time. That's essentially what it's saying. But holiness is essentially living your life for God. It's following Christ's teaching and example. It's dealing with sin in my life. It's worshiping God in spirit and truth. And it's serving God and others. That's essentially what it comes down to. But the one trait that you will have is you will have the fruit of the Spirit. So when somebody comes at you angry or hot, you will be calm and self-controlled because you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, do not be drunk with wine but be what? Filled with the Spirit of God. Controlled by the Spirit of God. Don't be controlled by wine. So in the same way that you can be intoxicated by liquor, and when you get intoxicated, what happens? You lose judgment, right? You can't speak sometimes. They don't like you driving because you'll run into somebody or off the road or do damage to yourself or others. You're not in very good judgment. You're not who you need to be. But if you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, what do you have? You have love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control, all those characteristics. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 2. So then, my dear brothers, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my, in my salvation with awe and reverence for the, one, for the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of of his good pleasure is God. 
So let me just point out two things from this passage. This is Philippians 2, 12 through 13. First one is this, that this is a process. Remember, we began with believe, belong, become. Becoming is a process. You know, work out your salvation. What he's saying there is that this is a process. We call it sanctification. That's a theological word. You're becoming more and more like Jesus, right? The second thing I want you to see here is he uses a phrase where he says, here's what I found. There are times where I know what I should do and what I need to do, right? I know what I need to do. I know what I should do. But you know what my problem is? I don't want to do it. I don't want to. When somebody has said or done something that's hurt me and I know that I need to forgive them, I don't want to. Anybody feel that way sometimes? Maybe once in your lifetime? Once last week? <laughs> well, here's the thing. I don't have the desire to do it. But Paul says this, that God not only gives us the ability to forgive, He gives us the desire to forgive. Because sometimes I need to have the desire. And God can help me with that. See, what I'm asking, or what we're talking about today, if you just try to go out and do it, you know, work hard at it, you know, you know muster up the, the, the energy, and unless you are influenced and controlled and walking and keeping in step with the Spirit, you will not have the ability or the desire to do it. This is, spirit, this is a Spirit-led life. This is what holiness means. It's the Spirit of God is directing you and giving you. So in your own strength, you're not able to live like Jesus only as we allow His Spirit to guide us, direct us, and empower us are we able to walk like Jesus. And that's why He says, Scripture says, you can grieve the Spirit, you can quench the Spirit. So the question is, are you keeping in step with the Spirit? Well, if you have the fruit of the Spirit, that's a pretty good sign. And by the way, you can be at one moment... In the fruit, you know, in the walking, keeping in step with the Spirit, in the next moment you can be grieving the Spirit. And you have to confess your sin and get things right. First John 1, 8, 9, right? All right. Uh, let me give you one more. We regularly read and reflect the word of, on the Word of God. See, God's Word is life-giving. It, gives, it brings power. Um, I mean, think about it. God, in, in Genesis 1, it says what? God said, let there be light in, there was light. I mean, he just spoke a word, and it, there it was, boom, you know, it just happened. This is the power of the Word of God. Jesus says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? First uh, Peter, the passage in First Peter says this, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word we preach to you. So you don't just read the word, you take it in. You reflect on it. You reveal, you let it reveal your heart. You let it melt your heart, right? Um, you allow his word to lead you into prayer. You, you allow his holy word to become part of you. This is what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 1, where he says, Blessed is the one who does not walk, uh, does not walk in step with the wicked. By the way, that's an interesting parallel, isn't it? We're, we're told to keep in step with the Spirit. The psalmist says, don't walk or don't keep in step with the wicked. 
or stand in the way of sinners or take, the, take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And notice this, he says, and who meditates on his law, his word, day and night. So this is meditation. This is taking it and reading it and thinking about it and turning it over and processing it and praying it and just uh, allowing it. And again, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? So if you take this truth seriously, it will make a difference in the way you live today. And so this is why we need to constantly take in the word of God. So there's two tools so far, right? God has given us his indwelling Holy Spirit, Jesus, and I'm going to give you another comforter. And he won't be with you like I am. He will be within you. He will be inside of you. He will dwell within you. You are his temple. You'll be a temple. And then uh, the last one we want to talk about is we need to connect with God's people. You know, the Bible clearly teaches that God created us for community, that we're not meant to do life alone, that we need one another. Just as human beings, we do, but especially as followers of Jesus Christ, we need help. And this is where we, you know, the, the three words, remember, believe, belong, become. This belong means that it's more than sitting in rows facing forward. It's sitting in circles. It's getting to know people. It's, it's having relationships, friendships, and with other people uh, who are followers of Jesus Christ. We need, we need these relationships to encourage us, to guide and correct us. To, we have, because we have blind spots, and nobody likes to admit that, but we do. We have a lot. Many of us uh, don't even know the blind spots we have. Um, but somebody close to you does. Your spouse does. Your kids do. Your parents do. And so we need help with that. Um, your greatest flaw today, and, and this I think is important. Here we go. Your greatest flaw today is the one you can't see. You can't fix what you can't see. And that's why we need community. The people around you can clearly see what's going wrong with you. But have you given them permission to speak into your life and to say, you know, you see the wheels coming off. You see something that is egregious or something that needs to be changed or something that, you're, that worries you, you're concerned about. Will you call me out? I give you permission to call me out. Now do it in a loving way, but call me out nonetheless, right? So let me ask you a question. Who, is the, who are your people? Do, do you have people right now who love you, who care about you, who want to walk with you and help you, who say, man, I see some stuff that's going on in your life that just, it's just not right. Uh, who are those people? That's why we, we love to get you plugged into life groups because we think that if you get in a group of people who know you and care for you and love you and they're spiritually mature, maybe they're down the road a little further, they've been through what you've been through, they, they can see things in your life and that can call you out, that you'll be a better person because of those relationships. Your life will be richer, you'll grow. But I think those are three things you absolutely must have in your life if you're going to stop being a baby Christian, you're going to grow up. Number one, you need the, the indwelling Holy Spirit. You need to keep in step with the Spirit. You still ha you have the Spirit, 
But are you allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you and direct you? Are you keeping in step with the Spirit? Number two, are you reading and reflecting on the Word of God? The Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's what we desperately need in our lives to show us things about ourselves that we need to see, to encourage us when we're down, to correct us when we're wrong. We need all those. And then number three, we need God's people. We need God's people. Do you have a group of people who you who are you can you love them? They love you. You trust them. They trust you, and uh, they can call you out and they can encourage you. We need people like that in our lives. So, it's time to grow up. It's time to realize that being a baby Christian isn't acceptable for a follower of Jesus Christ. That we know what Jesus looks like. He humbled himself, right? He loved even his enemies, right? He was willing to suffer, right? Uh, These are the characteristics of of Jesus and his characteristics of his followers. And then how do we grow? Well, we gave you three steps. There are more, but these are the three. If you do these, if you do these, and again, you can't do any of these unless you are uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and direct your life. And I pray that would be true. I want to lead you in prayer. and, And maybe there's an area, one area in your life that God is calling you out about right now. Uh, Maybe it's one of these three about maybe keeping a step with the Spirit or the Word of God or even being part of community. And maybe uh, this is a time that you need to make a decision that something's going to change because you can't remain a baby the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father, we need to grow up. And we can't do it alone. We thank you you've given us your Holy Spirit, but maybe we've kept him at bay. And today's the day that we need to confess our sin to you and ask the Holy Spirit to to take control over our lives and to guide us. It may be, Father, that we've not allowed your word to speak into our lives. We've not taken the time to sit down and to read and reflect and to take it in and to meditate on it. We've not heard you speak to us in a long, long time through your word. It may be, Father, that we are very independent-minded and we don't like to um, ask for help. And uh, certainly that's American, but it's not Christian. Help us to look for our people that can be our people people that can help us to grow because we need help. We need community. Maybe, Father, the first thing we need to see is that we need help and we need others. So help us to look into your word and remind us from your word that we need community, that growth takes place within community. Thank you, Father, for the encouragement of your word and help this uh, group that is uh, here in this place and those uh, joining online speak to their hearts where they need to be spoken do a work in our hearts father do not allow this opportunity to go away wasted may it make a difference in our lives today tomorrow this week and forever we pray this in jesus name amen